Hi again, folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Great to have you back with us. We've got another exciting interview lined up for you today, or at least we think it's an exciting one. With us on the line from Kitchener, Canada, is our very own Pretty Donnelly, NTI's Sales and Marketing Division Manager. Now, Pretty should be very familiar to those among you who are on our mailing list, as she's the one sending out all of those fantastic business and property news digests that you receive from us about once a month. And even more importantly, she's the one who puts together all of those um, featured property listings uh, that so many of you have been already quick to capitalize on. So we thought it would be a good idea to have Pretty on the podcast once in a while, as she's the one who is mostly in touch with first-time or new investors to Japan's property market, which means that she's the one who answers all of the uh, first-time questions that people ask when they're exposed to the Japanese property market for the first time. And as we've touched here uh, here in the podcast many times in the past, this market is different in a lot of ways to other markets around the world which means that many things that people are used to kind of assuming when they first look into this market are actually not always exactly the same as you might expect them in other parts of the world. In fact, often they can be complete opposites or, or even counterintuitive to what's considered uh, common knowledge or common sense in other parts of the globe as far as it relates to uh, property investments. So pretty, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you here on the show. Thanks, Zev. It's great to be here. So like we normally like to do here on the podcast, before we actually dive into the practical part of the conversation, could you maybe tell us a bit about yourself, your work experience um, before and including your job here at NTI, stuff that interests you, maybe a little bit about what actually drew you to this particular position? Well, sure. Like most of us, I've worn many hats. Um, let's see, I have a background in commercial and residential mortgages in Canada and the U.S. I have a degree in English literature. I've studied advertising and marketing and as well as negotiations. And I say all that because um, when I saw this position, I was drawn to it because this gave me an opportunity to tie all my skills together. That's what I felt. I've even worked with the government, which... As you know, that means understanding contracts and paperwork. I know that quite well, too. So I just love how this ties everything in together. But there was only one thing. I had never been to Japan. So for me, that was the challenge. And I knew very little about the Japanese property market. That's right. You actually had no real exposure to Japan at all or, or even any knowledge about the country before you took this job on, did you? So true. Not much at all. In fact, the idea of investing in a foreign country to me seemed risky and not something I opened my mind to. And I think many foreign investors probably feel the same way. What opened my mind, actually, was one of your videos on the NTI website. And it was at that point when I watched it, I realized, you know what, NTI is not a real estate agency. It's actually a proxy service and a buyer's agency. And that was something completely different. It was like a niche, um, not your typical real estate agency, not even a real estate agency. And so in this way, I saw it really as an extension of anyone who wants to invest in Japan real estate. There was the opening. Right. And there's no question, you know, we know we live in volatile times. 
The real estate market around the world couldn't be more speculative. Yet here in Japan, here is a market that focuses on steady cash flow from rental income. And it's so affordable. Finally, real estate investing doesn't have to be just for the rich and doesn't have to be speculative as most of us understand it to be. So this service, the proxy service, gives foreign investors that access. Right. And I guess the same sort of mind frame is actually something that many of those potential clients who first contact you are in, isn't it? I mean, there are just so many things that most people who haven't been exposed to Japan like yourself uh, or to Japan's property market or any Asian property market probably wouldn't know about a lot of these things or they might have the wrong impression about them. C- can you maybe give us a few of these like common misconceptions that you that you run across regularly? Oh, sure. Yeah, I do run, in, I do run across uh, misconceptions for sure. I think one of the most common ones is the effect of earthquakes on Japanese homes. Now, that's a misconception. Properties built in 1981 or after would fall under earthquake-resistant construction methods under the Building Standards Act. And I always emphasize, however, that this doesn't mean that if you buy something built prior to 1981, it's going to blow away or crumble. If an older building has been well-maintained with, with strong reserve funds pool budget for repairs, it's not necessarily a high-risk purchase. So that's one of the things. Another thing is that people also think that owning a foreign property would be a headache and costly, and they're going to have to do a lot of travel, and then there's all the travel expenses. Again, not true. And that's because of this proxy service. And that's what I love about it, because we make things simple for foreign investors. So first of all, there's no need to travel for the purchase. And since your wife and business partner Chicago is native Japanese, and so are most of the staff over there in Japan, we can and do represent clients at meetings, even though the seller is aware that the buyer is foreign. We send the documents for signing in English to the seller and then conduct all the meetings on the buyer's behalf in Japanese. That's turnkey for the investor without having to travel. And in terms of managing the property, which is what many people ask me about, NTI communicates with the property manager, renovation and repair professionals, building management, tax authorities, insurance company, as well as making payments on bills, receiving all rental income. So anything and everything that's associated with properties, we do that. We also provide financial management, collecting rental payments, remitting funds overseas. And should the time come to sell, we assist with that as well. And this, all this, and you never need to travel. Truly fantastic. <laughs> There's another misconception as well that I wanted to talk about, and that is the worry that tenants will be a hassle to manage. You know, people think, oh, no, what if I'm far away and, and something goes wrong and something happens? They're having a party and my property is destroyed. What I have learned is that Japanese people are trouble and hassle-free, honest, and by nature don't want to tarnish their reputation. So for this reason... They wouldn't intentionally damage property. Rarely will there be any tenant headaches. Generally, the only repairs are from wear and tear. 
That's so true. And and aside from that, um, what actually draws people to, to express an interest in this market? And then when they are drawn to it, what are they worried about? I mean, not, not misconceptions, just stuff that they think might work or not work as they expect. Everyone I meet, live, whether they're new to investing or seasoned and understand Japanese real estate, they're all looking for the same thing best possible deal with the lowest possible risk. What does that mean? In this cash flow market, low risk means steady occupancy for steady cash flow. They want to see the steady rental income. Yields range from 6% to 12% net pre-tax, depending on the location. Try getting that anywhere else. I mean, that's high. Mm. And 12%, so 6% metropolitan versus, say, 12% in the suburbs. And property features such as size of the unit will make a difference, close to transportation, schools, hospital, things like that. Once a person expresses interest in Japanese properties, I like to get a good understanding of their criteria, and then I send them relevant listings. Just those properties that they would be most interested in. This is a huge market, the second largest market, real estate market in the world. And so what I do is I filter it down to the best suited properties so that they can get the offer in as quickly as possible. Because in this market, what people don't realize is that properties close within days. They don't sit around for months like they will in, in the U.S. and Canada and, and other parts of the world. Right. And this, this is stuff that we've talked about in the podcast here in the past, and we're probably going to keep coming back to that again and again. Could you maybe tell us a bit about who your typical client is or the potential client profile, the kind of people that you know regularly contact you? They're always from the same country, from similar socioeconomic profiles, ages, any common denominators at all? Clients contact me from all over the world. I think it's people who are interested in real estate and understand real estate. Um, so we're you're looking at Australia, U.S., Canada, U.K., Singapore are on the top of our list in terms of popularity, but really all over. Um, the market really definitely appeals to the financially savvy investor who is looking to develop a portfolio and who are very much at ease with international markets. Um, but at the same time, and this is what I really like, it appeals also to the new investor. Somebody who has always felt, oh, I can't invest in real estate. I just, I can't afford it. This Japan property market gives them that opportunity because of the affordable prices um, in Japan. So for as little as I can say, um, Twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars, they'd be able to invest and take advantage of the high yield properties. Right, and that's twenty-five, thirty, including all purchase costs, right? Yes, yeah. including all purchase costs. Okay, so pretty unbelievable. Right? Yeah, so so some new investors who just could, maybe couldn't afford or were a bit wary of investing you know, a lot of money in other places and more seasoned investors who just want to hedge their portfolio and get more exposure to other countries. Would that be about right? Yeah, that's about right. And I think that the fear is that people are a way, I call it, of stepping out of their own backyard. 
Um, and that is, if they're in the United States, they only want to invest in the United States because everything else is really scary or risky. And, um, you know, having a proxy service like we have gives everybody that opportunity to invest in Japan because it's literally like an extension of their own arm in another country. And um, so, again, whether you're savvy um, or whether you're new to the market, we're here to do that um, for anybody that is simply interested but isn't able to just travel or doesn't speak the language in Japan. I guess when you're doing due diligence um, in your backyard as opposed to a, a remote location, I guess the main the main difference is when you're doing it in your backyard, you need to personally do your due diligence on the property, you know, do a drive-by, have a look. If you can look inside, look outside, maybe a building inspection. Whereas when you're investing remotely and you can't do all of that, the due diligence just turns into researching the right kind of company and the right kind of team that are going to be represented you, representing you on the ground, and then they do the actual due diligence for you, don't they? Exactly. Um, could you maybe give us an example of, say, one potential client, somebody who actually turned into an active client? So no names or personal details, of course, but maybe just a general profile of the, the person or persons, what they ended up buying, and the process, how their investments are doing these days? Sure. Let me first explain how most clients familiarize themselves with the properties to become active clients. Most clients start by asking to receive our featured property listings and the monthly business digest. And with this information, they're able to compare prices, locations, yield, income, and features, etc., then, when they have a better idea of what they want, they contact me with a particular property um, that they might have seen on our featured list. They'll ask me if it's available, or they'll send me their particular criteria, such as their own budget they have in mind, location, size, and other features. Um, in this market, offers are made on properties within days, as I think I mentioned earlier, of hitting the market. So you've got to be quick. So now, going forward to the type of clients we have, I want to give you one example. So this client is from Canada. I won't give you his name. Um, but like most foreigners, he couldn't speak Japanese to conduct the real estate transaction on his own. Now, his budget to start was about 30000 U.S. dollars. Um, this was his first property, and he didn't want to take much of a risk, which is perfectly understandable. So we recommended properties in metropolitan areas close to transit where occupancy is high, built in or after 1981. And he was willing to accept the lower yield for lower risk of about 6% net pre-tax versus what he could otherwise get of, say, 8% to 11%. Um, and it was a very smooth first purchase, and that's what he was doing. He was sort of testing the waters to see how this, was, this went, and it was very smooth. He was very comfortable. So he stuck with it, and he went on to start to build his portfolio. He increased his budget to 65000 American dollars. This time, he was willing to take a bit more of a risk, 
Um, and this means properties in the suburbs where you may not be so sure of how quickly um, a property will be rented out if it indeed does become vacant. So far, we have had no occupancy challenges, and he's a very happy client and continuing to grow his portfolio. And when we say suburbs, I mean, these could be um, less central suburbs of big metropolitan centers, or it could be um, maybe a smaller or medium-sized town. But I think you always recommend only locations, I mean, unless somebody specifically has a particular request, but otherwise you'd be recommending locations that have a, a stable or increasing population, places that have got, you know, not like a... a one horse town with a single economy kind of. So even if it's a suburban or smaller township, it's always at least um, stable and reliable as far as, I mean, maybe capital growth won't occur as fast there, but it's usually going to have at least the, the typical rental cash flow that we're looking for, wouldn't it? Right. We're not doing anything that's that's super high risk. So we are staying within two um, areas where you will get between 8% to 11% yield, which is still very high without that extreme risk of um, away from uh, far away from transportation or, um, you know, properties that might be on say, the, the 10th floor, not the 10th floor, but say, like, 5th or 6th floor where there's no elevator, things like that, things that would really deter um, people from wanting to rent. We don't typically um, get involved with those types of properties. We do stay with, generally, uh, areas and features that are marketable. Okay, good stuff. And maybe before we wrap up, where do you see interest um, from potential investors focusing on these days? Uh, what types of investments are drawing more attention? What types of challenges are they looking at when they enter the market these days? Um, are things changing, improving, or getting worse in this regard at all? Small apartments has always been the main draw, I would say. Um, so small apartments, you're looking at the sort of 25000 30000 35000 type of um, investment. But there is a growing interest in apartment buildings, earning rental income from several properties instead of just one unit. And in this regard, you're looking at about 175000 to a million dollars. Uh, but the yield is excellent. You're looking at 5% to 11% net pre-tax. And the stability is there. Uh, the other thing also is that Japan now is, um, the trend these days is the shared economy. And because of that, people are purchasing older properties, demolishing them, and then rebuilding. And so you're looking at a couple of things, shared houses and also shared offices. So this is the latest trend. Also... Uh, Japan, as most people know, there is an issue with the aging population. So retirement homes, it's just not enough. And that's, an other er that's another area that's um, uh, it's a booming market. There needs to be more of that, and uh, that's coming up pretty quickly. You're not going to find any shortage of demand for Japan's elderly, that's for sure. 
The other thing I wanted to mention is that we do have clients. I mean, most of our clients, they are, they do come with their cash investments. Um, but they do ask us about mortgages and things like that, loans. Unfortunately, financing is still a work in progress. Um, it's a challenge for foreigners trying to get loans in Japan. So at this time, I'd have to say there's still work there to be done. Once we do have more on that, I'm sure that's going to be a real hit. But right now, um, yeah, unfortunately, that's just not available for foreigners. Yeah, that's a bit of a pain that we've spoken about here a few times in the past. So um, just a reminder Folks, if you've got any funds saved and you're wondering what to invest them in and you're not interested in hands-on property ownership for any reason, um, Pretty and the rest of us here at NTI, we've got loads of reliable investors, uh, most of whom already have purchased properties in, in Japan in cash, and they'll be more than happy to expand their portfolios if they've got a bit of financing for this purpose. So you stand to make a really comfortable interest return on any of these loans, which would of course be secured against actual high yielding property assets. So please don't hesitate to contact us if you want to be a part of this program. I also wanted to add when you were talking about buildings there, the reason that people um, often go for buildings, which tend to uh, generate slightly lower return in comparison with individual units is for two reasons. One is You've got the entire land parcel. So if the property gains in value, uh, obviously anything that's landed uh, stands to gain a lot more. And the other thing is that you've got a lot more flexibility. So if and when the time comes to um, tear the building down or if you'd like to somehow increase the return on it, you can rent it out for short-term leasing. You can turn it into a parking lot. You can build a small uh, residential block or commercial block instead of a house. And all of those factors can have a really big impact on your return. Those are things that you can't do with individual units, especially ones in a co-owned building. Um, on the other hand, the individual units obviously have less of a um, uncertainty factor to them. You pay your monthly building fees and that covers all of the structural and uh, external renovations or repairs that need to be done. So fantastic info there, Pretty. Thank you so much for your time. It was great to have you with us today. Thanks, Viv. It was a pleasure. And I just want to give a huge shout out to all of the people that I've been speaking with um, who are hopefully listening to this podcast. I've been in, in touch with a lot of you and it's been a pleasure working with you all. That's it from us for today, folks. We hope you've enjoyed this chat with our sales and marketing division manager. Pretty will be available as she always is to answer any and all of your questions. You can contact her on info at nippontradings.com. That's N-I-P-P-O-N tradings with an S, all one word, dot com. Um, or in the comments section of this episode, feel free to ask her anything or to comment. Please do share our podcast with your networks if you think they may find it interesting. And we would really, really appreciate if you could take a moment of your time and rate us. Leave us a rating and a review on the iTunes store, uh, the Apple podcast library, Spotify, wherever you might have found us. One star for bad, five stars for awesome. Anything in between would mean the world to us. Hope to have you again with us next time. And until then, from Pretty in Kitchener, Canada, and from us here in Japan, we wish you, as always, happy investing. Mm -hmm.